Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Jesus the Son, Spirit of Holiness, we can do nothing apart from you. The songs we sing have no power apart from you. Our hearts are not even able to receive the truth of those lyrics apart from you. Oh Lord Jesus, we don't proclaim your name as glorious apart from you. And Holy Spirit, we don't minister to one another apart from you. hearers will not be able to hear unless you give them ears to hear. So Lord, we beg you as a people to be ever present among us this morning. That as the sun beats down, we will feel the presence of you, son of God. That as we gaze upward, we're reminded of the might of your words when you said, Let the heavens and the earth be, and they were. Lord, I pray that you would do a mighty work in and through us this morning, something that we cannot accomplish. We are forced to be dependent on you, and we are foolish if we are running from being dependent on you. So, Lord, open our eyes, open our hearts, open my mouth and speak through me. May your people hear your word this morning. May your people be encouraged by your word and convicted by your word. May they grow as a result of your word. And may they grow ever more hungry for more of your word. Lord, you are able, you are wonderful. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, my name is Kanan Parker. I'm one of the pastors here at Pillar Church and as always, it's a joy and an honor to be able to open up God's word with you. We're gonna continue in our series in the book of Jude. So go ahead and open your Bibles to, or scroll, if you've got an iPad or a phone, to the book of Jude as we continue our series there. While you're turning there, I want to say these famous words that some of you are old enough to remember. Not guilty. Not guilty was the verdict of the 1995 O.J. Simpson trial. Any of y'all old enough to remember the O.J. Simpson trial? Okay, good, because I'm like, I'm looking out like, ooh, some of y'all was born in like, like in 1995. Do you remember where you were when that verdict came in? I remember where I was. I was about 10 years old, sitting on my mother's bed, watching the, 
the, the white Ford Bronco police chase. And I remember sitting watching TV, and I, this is my first time seeing a police chase on TV. So I'm like, oh, they do it everywhere in the country, huh? <laughs> and I'm, I'm laying on her bed watching, and my mom's giving me commentary play by play, and I'm watching them dip and dodge and go in front of this house, and, the, and they got them. And then I remember being at school. I don't know where you were. It's like 9-11. You know, I guess there's certain places you remember where you were. I remember being at school when the verdict came in, not guilty. And I remember being so confused because I grew up in a very diverse area, a very diverse neighborhood. And I remember being in school, and when the verdict came in, I saw two polar reactions. I saw many of my black and brown brothers dancing through the halls, celebrating, sisters, celebrating, not guilty, not guilty. But then I would look and I saw some of my white brothers and sisters, and they were like mourning and sad. And there were some of them who were even crying, and I was confused, so I went home. And I'm like, Mom, I don't get it. Isn't it good or is it bad? Like, what, 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 what's going on? And she was like, son, you'll, you'll get it when you get older. And, and my home was, was joyful. My mom was happy. I remember where I was when I saw those famous words from Johnny Cochran. If, if the glove doesn't fit, you must acquit. Y'all don't remember that? Y'all can talk to me now. Come on. We outside. Come on. This is too hot. Who did this to me? <laughs> Who did this? Is this the work of Carson? No, Bill. Thanks, Bill. I'm like, it's in my neck. Do you think he got away with it? Don't answer. <laughs> we diverse up ahead too, right? Don't, don't answer. Keep that in your head. You think he got away with it? Did OJ get away with murder? Did he escape? judgment from the courts. I don't know what you believe about whether or not OJ was guilty or innocent. Nobody else was there. There's only a handful of people who know, but I do know of one who knows the truth about what happened that night. And there's one individual that promises that every person will give an account for what they have done, whether good or evil. This should be a cross-reference sheet in your bulletin. This one's not there, so feel free to write it in. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says that it is appointed a man to live once and then face judgment. Do you know anyone who you think may have gotten away with something? Do you, do you know anybody who maybe has stolen and has gotten away with it or somebody who's committed murder and gotten away with it? Somebody who's taken advantage of another individual and gotten away with it? I want you right now to think of that person. Whether you know their name, you know their title, Somebody who you know is guilty, they've done wrong, however, they've skirted justice somehow. Think of that person. Get a name, get a title in your head. Put their face if you don't know their face. Think of that person. This morning's text is a call for us to remember that though they may have escaped justice on this side of heaven, they have yet to escape God's wrath on the other side. This morning, we're going to see that Jesus will return with thunder and judgment. That's what we're going to see from our text, that Jesus will return with thunder and judgment. Jude wants his hearers in, in this context and us to know now that though these people may have seemed to escape their due penalty, all is not lost for judgment and justice. Look at Jude verse 14 and 15. It says, it was about these that Enoch and the seventh generation from Adam prophesied. Look, 
The Lord comes with tens of thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly concerning all the ungodly acts that they have done in an ungodly way and concerning all the harsh things ungodly sinners have said against him. Anytime we read a text, we need to start asking that text some questions. So let's ask this text some questions. Let's start asking verse 14, two questions in particular. The first is this, well, who's Enoch? Then the second question is, where can we find this prophecy in the Old Testament? Let's answer the first one. Who is Enoch? The text told us that Enoch is the seventh generation from Adam. You see that in your cross-reference sheet, and you can distill that from Genesis 5, verses 3 through 20. Enoch is known as a very godly man, and he's known for having a beastly faith. But that's not what Enoch is most famous for. Though you guys know that Enoch may have been a godly man, you know Enoch for another reason. You know Enoch as the man who didn't die. Hebrews, cross-reference sheet, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, says, by faith, Enoch, and this is the, the section about talking about all the, 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 what we call the heroes of faith, though there's only one hero in the text, and that's Jesus. Be that as it may, 11, 5 Hebrews, it says, by faith, Enoch was taken away, and so he did not experience death. He was not to be found because God took him away, for before he was taken away, he was approved as one who pleased God. Remember I talked about Enoch being one of a beastly faith? Well, even the author of the Hebrew says that Enoch was somebody who pleased God. This is essentially all we know about the person of Enoch. All we know is his genealogical heritage. We know that he was a man of great faith, and we know that God took him, and so he did not die. At least he did not die on this earth. That's all we know about Enoch. That answers that question as far as we know. Now we got to answer the second question is, where can we find this prophecy of Enoch in the Old Testament? Because some of you are students of the word and you no doubtably looked in your cross-reference sheet to find this particular prophecy. But guess what? You're not going to find this prophecy in the Old Testament. It's not there. And so the question is, well, where on earth did Jude get this prophecy if the prophecy is not found in one of the 39 books of the Old Testament? Where did he find this prophecy? He found this prophecy in a book called First Enoch. First Enoch is a pseudepigraphal work. It's a pseudepigraphal book. Come on, y'all say pseudepigraphal with me. Pseudepigraphal. Pseudepigraphal. Y'all know what that means, right? Nope. Yeah. <laughs> pseudepigrapha is a letter or collection of writings that are attributed to a person who is not the author. The book of First Enoch was not written by Enoch. In fact, Enoch has no human existence of the birth of First Enoch. First Enoch was written way past the lifetime of Enoch. Enoch lived, or, or, as it said, the seventh generation of Adam. The first book of Enoch was written some maybe 3,000 years post that, maybe even more. So the question is, how on earth is Jude going to validate a prophecy from a book that's not found in the 39 books of God's word in the Old Testament? Does that mean that the book of First Enoch is supposed to be in the Old Testament? Is that what that means? If you remember a couple of weeks ago, Jude also quoted the book of the Assumption of Moses. Y'all remember that? Jude is back again quoting another book from the Old Testament. So the question is, should First Jude be in the Old Testament? The short answer is no. Jude is free to quote from anything he wants to quote from. As long as what he quotes is true. 
All of you quote from things or sources that are not overarchingly credible. However, there is always an ounce of truth in the thing that you quoted as far as you know. That's why you quote it. You guys are talking like you know firsthand about Corona, but none of you have ever seen the virus under a microscope. Yet you quote these doctors and these physicians who tell you that it's real, and so what do you do? You're not giving a full orb, uh, 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 what's the word? Approval of anything or everything they've ever said, but you do agree and think that there's one thing that they're saying that is true. Am I, am I lying? Am I, y'all here? Y'all see that? See, a dead clock is right twice a day. You can quote something that's not accurate all the time, as long as when you quote it, it is accurate. And so Jude is quoting the book of First Enoch because this prophecy from Enoch that was obviously written down at some point during his life and, and, and passed on through the generations is true. Paul does the same thing twice in Acts 17, 29 and Titus chapter 1, verse 12, where he quotes poets and philosophers. Enoch's prophecy was recorded and it maintained its fidelity. And Jude is using the prophecy to bolster his argument against these false prophets. And the prophecy is prophesying of judgment. So let's look at the content of the prophecy at the end of verse 14 and in verse 15. Jude says it was about these that, that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied, look, the Lord comes with tens of thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all who convict the ungodly concerning all the ungodly acts that they have done in an ungodly way, concerning all the harsh things that sinners have done against him. Let's look at each section of this prophecy. Look at verse 14 first. It says, look, the Lord comes with tens of thousands of his holy ones. Jude is giving us a glimpse into an eschatological reality. Y'all say eschatological. Eschatological. Y'all know what that means, right? Some of y'all might know that better. It means end times. Jude is telling us what's going to go down at the end. That's what he's telling us. What's going to go down at the end. He says that the Lord will come back with tens of thousands of his holy one. Jude is obviously applying Enoch's prophecy to Jesus because he understands that the readers of his letter have probably read one, if not others, of the Gospels. And what do you find in the Gospels? Or at least they've heard of this truth of what Jesus says in Matthew 16, 27. Jesus says, for the Son of Man, referring to himself, is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. Then he will reward each according to what he has done. Not only that, but Jesus said that all authority and judgment have been found in him. You find that twice in the book of John, John 5, 22 and 27. Jesus is the one who, we, who will be coming back to dispense thunder and judgment. And how many angels did it say he's coming with? Tens of thousands. How many angels, y'all? Come on, y'all can't just be, I'm, I'm sweating. I need y'all to talk to me. I can't even see your mouth. How many? Tens of thousands of angels. Jesus is coming back. Mob deep. I can't imagine what this would look like to see the, the Son of Man descending on clouds with tens of thousands of angels around him coming. I don't, I don't. And what are they coming back to do, Jude 15? It says, to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly concerning all the ungodly acts that they have done in an ungodly way and concerning all the harsh things ungodly sinners have said against them. The guilty will not escape the judgment of Christ. You remember that person I told you to, to put in your head? Mm -hmm. The person I told you to think about who escaped justice? Apply that statement to them. The guilty will not escape the judgment of Christ. You say, Pastor K, how do you know this? I know this because of the scope of the prophecy. 
How many times in verse 15 did Jude say all? Four. How many times did he say ungodly? Four. Now I know that a word only means what it means in its context. You can say all and all of who? Well, he defines it for us. All the ungodly. That's a very broad category, is it not? Because I would dare that all of us, in one way or another, fit that category of the ungodly. And so if God is coming back to wreak judgment on all the ungodly, where do you think that might leave us? Look at verse 15 again with being cognizant of the word all and the word ungodly. Listen to how many times he says it. He's trying to give a comprehensive understanding. He says he's coming back to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly concerning all the ungodly acts that they have done in an ungodly way concerning all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have said against him. Y'all see how full Jesus is going? He's making it broad. He's going to get all ungodliness and all the ungodly. Hebrews 4.13 says no creature is hidden from him and all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Remember these false teachers from uh, Jude verse 4? How they snuck in by stealth? You see, the other individuals in the congregation may not have been able to understand or know who these individuals were, but Jude was, was acute enough to see, okay, there's false teachers in and among us. They snuck in by stealth. Remember Jude 12? They're hidden reefs at your love feast. And what's the characteristic of a reef? It's underwater and you don't know that you've hit it until it's too late and it's done its damage. The same with a wolf in sheep's clothing. You don't know there's a wolf among you until the wolf's teeth come out and he tries to attack a sheep. They may be able to hide their sin from one another. A wolf's smooth talk or a false teacher's smooth talk, winsome ways and influential character will soon give way to the tainted soils of their heart. The text tells us that they have an ungodly heart because they have two ungodly characteristics in particular. It says that they have ungodly actions and it says that they have ungodly speech. Y'all still with me? I know the sun is beating, y'all. Focus. And what did Jesus say about people who have ungodly actions and ungodly speech? Matthew 15, your cross-reference sheet. What comes out of the mouth comes from the heart and defiles a person. That's their speech. Then it says, from the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulterers, sexual immorality, thieves, false testimonies, slander. Guys, this is all the same stuff that the false teachers in the book of Jude were displaying. If you were able to follow the series until now, you saw in Jude 4 and 8 that these individuals turned the grace of God into sensuality and thereby they defiled their flesh. Jude verse 4, verse 8, and verse 10 tells us that they slander and blaspheme, speaking the language of Satan, and they pervert God's grace. Is this not false actions and false speech, a part of these individuals, which help to show that they have an ungodly heart? Guys, you got to pay attention to what comes out of people because it's telling you what's within them. See, it's when we ignore or make excuses for what comes out of people that a person gets hurt. You ever see that individual, maybe it's you, who's in a bad or abusive situation, and you make an excuse for the individual who's showing you bad words and bad action, saying, well, they have a really good heart. No, they don't. You see, when we justify a person's sin, we find ourselves reaping the, rep the repercussions of their sin. And then we go, oh, it's okay, they're really, no. It's a, it's a mirror showing you exactly what is within. Their, their heart is deceitful and wicked and sick. That's what's within. And that's what comes out. That's why behavior modification doesn't work. 
prisons as rehab centers don't work because they don't get to the real issue. Plucking out your eye, cutting off your hand won't stop you from lusting or stealing. Y'all know that problem you have, gentlemen, with the computer? Y'all know getting covenant eyes is not gonna solve the problem. It may help, it may be an aid, but it is not the fix. What Jesus gives us, what Jesus' sacrifice purchased for us is what we need. We need regeneration and transformation of the heart. We need holy proximity to Jesus in order for the insides of our heart to change and be transformed that we may spew out praises unto God rather than curses to our fellow man and maybe even curses unto God. Does that make sense, y'all? Mm -hmm. This is what Jesus' sacrifice purchases for those who believe. Clean hands and a new heart. Spiritual life for those who were once spiritually dead. When Jesus transforms the soul, when he transforms the heart, when he gives you a heart of flesh from a heart of stone, your heart will strive for holiness. You have a heart that yearns for joy. You have a heart that fights for the good of others. You have a heart of love and peace. You have a heart for evangelism and discipleship. You have a heart for right truth and right doctrine. You have a heart for justice and righteousness. You have a heart for God's will over your will. You have a heart to seek and magnify Jesus above anything and everything else. You have a heart for the neighborhood in and around you. Once he transforms the soul, there is something inherently different within you, and now you care about things you previously had no care for, and now the reality of God's presence is so much more tangible than it ever was before. All of these houses matter because God has transformed you to have a desire to love your neighbor as yourself yes. and to glorify God in the process. If you don't love these people in these houses, what do you think that's a reflection of? If you don't see an individual at the coffee shop and your desire and your desire is, is to ignore that individual despite whether or not they might face God's wrath one day. That's a reflection of our hearts. When we can ignore God's truth on a particular topic, that's a reflection of our hearts. When we yell at our kids who have done, they just acted like a six-year-old. I know because that's me. It's a reflection of my heart. When you're frustrated with the person who doesn't speak English clearly, it's a reflection of our hearts. Y'all know what's in the middle of sin? I. And anything that comes into contradiction with I is always a problem with us. But Jesus comes, the rock carved out of mountains without hands, right? And he smashes that right in the middle. If you're not about these things, you don't have a behavioral issue. There's nothing that a spanking is gonna fix. There's a heart issue there. Now don't get me wrong, I, I, don't, I don't believe in sparing that rod. He's gotta know how to use the rod, you feel me? That's another topic, that's for parenting class. Oh, nobody's, somebody gonna say preach too loud, and I'm like, ooh. <laughs> These false teachers can't produce good fruit because they have a rotten root. A wolf is someone who does harm to the sheep for personal gain. And no matter how hard they try to hide it, Jesus sees and knows and he will return with thunder and judgment because justice and righteousness are the foundation of God's throne, Psalm 89. Now remember that person I told you to think about? The one who escaped justice? The one who got away with it? The one who murdered and didn't get their due penalty? The person who took advantage of another and didn't receive their consequence? 
Beloved, I hope you could tell I was talking about you. You're the one. You think that you can hide your sin forever. You know what's funny about human nature? We always think that we're the exception to the rule. God's eyes are blazing fire, sees everything except for the sin that I'm going to suppress and hide. That, that sin that you kept in your closet, that you keep in your closet, you think nobody else knows about. You may fool me, you may fool these people, but you have not fooled God. And though you may not have to reap the consequence of that reality on this side of heaven, don't you dare think that God has not seen and does not know the truth. See, the reality is we love to throw stones at other individuals. We love to point our finger at the evils of people in this world, yet neglect to see the dirt that we have heaped upon it. It's really easy in today's culture and context, isn't it? With all the different court trials going on. You can have your own opinions and your own feelings about all those things. I surely do. But it's easy to be blind to my own sin while I'm pointing out the sin in another individual. While I'm pointing out the injustice in another situation, what about the injustice in me? What about the injustice in you? It's there. It's there and you don't want to reckon with it. It's there and you want to ignore it. It's there and you want to suppress it. But God sees and God will expunge. How much better is it to confess that sin rather than to have that sin pulled out of you in, in pain and agony and in embarrassment? Why do you think why do you think the scriptures tell us to confess our sins to one another? See, we get to experience the joy of something called forgiveness, fellowship, love, reconciliation at the confessing of our sin. But when we hide our sin, what do we do? We hide ourselves from one another and then what's broken? Our fellowship. Then what's broken? Our trust. Then what's broken? Our communion together as we worship God. And then even you feel like your relationship with God is broken. I know I ain't the only one. Y'all feel me. Y'all know that sin that you've hidden, that then you feel like your communion with God has been cut off or broken. This is what hidden sin does. This is what the text says in, in the Psalms where he says, my bones feel like they wasted away because of the sin that I've hidden. What is it for you? What's that thing? Romans 2 says this. Follow with me, cross-reference sheet. Therefore, every one of you who judges is without excuse. For when you judge another, you condemn yourself since you judge, since you, the judge, do the same thing. Now we know that God's judgment on those who do such things is based on the truth. Do you think any one of you who judges those who do such things yet do the same, that you will escape God's judgment? Or do you despise the riches of his kindness? strength and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Verse 5, because of your hard, hardened and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment is revealed. Jesus will return with thunder and judgment on all ungodliness, including yours. First Timothy 5 says, some people's sins are obvious preceding them, but preceding them to judgment but the sins of others surface later. Did y'all see the reality in that? Others, what later? 
surface later. What does that mean? They never stay hidden. They will always come out. Now you can ignore God's warning. You could decide to continue to hide your wretchedness and take your chances with the God of heaven and earth if you want to, but I want to tell you of another way, a better way. I want to tell you that though you have grievous sin in your life and though you have done heinous things, that same God of grace, that same God of judgment is a God of grace. You see, on the basis, sorry, I can't, I can barely see the sweat in my eyeballs. On the basis of love, mercy, and grace, Jesus was willing to endure God's wrath for all those who would confess their sin, turn from evil, and trust in Jesus. Because by placing your trust in Jesus, justice was paid for you by the judge himself, the one who comes down with his angels. Salvation and judgment can be yours. Freedom from the the oppression of hiding your sin can be yours. Psalm 32 is that song. A new heart and clean hands can be found at the foot of the cross. And so I bid you guys to come unto God under that reality, the reality that if we but confess our sin and turn in faith to Jesus, then we don't experience Jesus as judge, but we experience Jesus as gracious, loving Savior. And he bids you come. And you don't have a good reason not to. You don't have a good reason not to confess your sin unto our Lord Jesus. You don't have a good reason not to to come unto him. Don't let anyone shame you into remaining where you are. It's okay to need God. It's okay to need his favor. It's okay to need his grace. It's okay to need his intervention. It's okay to need his love. It's okay to need the son of God and God the son. Jude told us that judgment is awaiting all the ungodly. This is true. But the good news is that Jesus came to die for whom? The ungodly. Romans chapter 5 tells us this. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for whom? Oh, my friends, we fit the category. We fit the category of the ungodly. And the judgment of God is real for those who are ungodly, but there's something else. There's something more. Jesus also came to die for those within the category of the ungodly. And if you find yourself there, you can be a recipient of his grace. Don't y'all feel me on this? Why would you take your chances with the God of, with the God of judgment and the God of grace? Come to him. Come to him. I keep saying that because I may never see you again. You may be ushered into his presence before next week. I may be ushered into his presence before next week. And so I have one shot to tell you something. And it's that if you repent and believe in the name of Jesus, you will be saved and you will be able to uh, hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the rest, into the joy of your master. You, you may never hear this again. I got to tell you. Woe is me if I don't say that. Was OJ guilty? I don't know. You may never know. But you know that you are. I know that I am. And I know that there's grace waiting for me. And so I plead you, rather than getting caught up and wondering who's the guilty and who's the innocent, 
do business with our Lord Jesus while today is still here and receive his grace now so that you, instead of being in the category of the ungodly in judgment, will be in the category of ungodly, but purchased, redeemed, sanctified, and loved. And ultimately, at the end of all things, glorified. You see, Jude was simply reminding the saints that God ain't forget and God is not done. And that justice will always be served. either the Son of God on your behalf or you for all of eternity. Father, would you, in your kindness and grace, convict our souls to admit our need for you. We're so American, Lord. We don't need anything. We ask each other how we're doing and never tell the truth. Where I come from, need is weak. Counseling is weak. Dependence is weak. But MLK said that it takes intense strength to love. It takes intense strength to be dependent, to be full of grace. In fact, it takes more strength to be full of love and gentleness than it does of wrath and anger. That it takes more strength to be transparent and repent and confess than it does to hide and give the facade of strength. But that's the easy route. We take it every day. Lord, help us. Help us to no longer be a superficial people. Help us to reckon with the reality of your judgment. Help us to fear you and yet simultaneously love you. The same way the ungodly will feel your judgment, yet it is the ungodly that you have died for. Teach us who you are. Show us what you have done on, on behalf of all those who believe and draw us unto yourself those of us who know you and those of us who don't know if we know you. Either case, Lord, we need to grow closer to you. Father, would you do this? Would you transform our hearts and draw us near to you? In Jesus' name.